Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. Well, folks, I had full intention of doing another Q&A show today and answering some of the questions that were submitted to me. I apologize to those of you that sent questions. I promise you there will be a day when I get to them. But I got a bit of a cold, and it's just a little tough for me to communicate effectively, so... I'm bringing up a episode that we did a while back with Dr. Stephen Capobianco. If you've ever been curious about the application of rock tape or kinesiology tape, this is a really great episode, so be sure to take a listen. I have the great fortune of being with Dr. Stephen Capobianco, and he is the author of Power Taping. And the, the concept of Power Taping is that to teach taping movement, not muscle, and what we're speaking of is rock tape, which is a product that I've been fond of and used a, a great extent over the last so many years. I've uh, been fortunate to have met Steve, and I count him as a friend. And Steve, thanks for coming on the show. Say hello to the audience. Anytime, sir. Uh, it's great talking to you once again. Uh, I feel that we are uh, kindred spirits. Every time we meet, we just uh, can talk for hours about uh, nonsense, but I, I'm hoping some of this information is useful today. Yeah, well, I am too. I am too. And so I want to start this conversation with what we just discussed behind the scenes here, which is this essentially the new thing that I've noticed, you know, visiting your site is the movement manifesto. I'm not going to lie. This was this was a uh, a wake up call for me. And you know, in the business I'm in, I, I know better. You know, it's not like I, I tell people I'm the I'm the plumber with the leaky faucet. But this movement manifesto, just to kind of share with the audience, is essentially a self test where you kind of get a sense of your mortality relative to your inability or ability to move. And for those that are listening, I'm just gonna give you the short story and I'll let Steve build on it. In essence, what the deal is, is that if you just stand up, wherever you're at right now, whatever you're doing right now, get away from the desk, stand up, and then unassisted, without reaching down, sit down on the ground. And once you're on the ground, sitting, stand back up again. And you might have to help me with this, Steve, but for everything that you have to do to assist yourself in standing, you're reducing points. So in other words, if you have to put one hand on the ground to push off or stabilize yourself or put a hand on your knee uh, or both knees or put a knee down to step up, everything that you have to do to assist yourself in getting upright again, you reduce points. And then relative to the loss of points or points gained, I should say, you get a score. 
And I'm going to let you take it from there, Steve. Tell them what happens if the score sucks. Well, it's pretty telling, Richard, and I don't want to give you the death sentence like you say, but um, this research done in 2012 was the one that smacked me in the face as well. And I I would agree with you. I typically say do what I say, don't do what I do, um, because we're all in that phase of realization that we're moving um, less, we're moving with less efficiency as a general rule. You know, Americans are sitting well over nine and a half hours a day and the research is also depicting that if you sit more than six hours a day, there's a 40% increase in your likelihood to die in the next 15 years. Like the research out there, but this one was really well done. It was done in Brazil and uh, it followed 2000 patients, ages ranging from 50 to 65, I believe, maybe 70. Um, and they did the sit rising test as you depicted and you depicted it perfectly. A point loss for every um, support that you needed to rise or sit to the ground. And unfortunately, they found that um, that the there was five times as likely to die within the same period compared to those who scored more than eight points. So the, the key was to recognize where you lay and that you can improve your score by improving your movement quality. And for every point that you did improve, and I want to take the the positive spin on this, for every point that you do improve, you can reduce your risk of death by a significant amount. Um, So the research was, you know, telling, saying, hey, listen, you move poorly, you're going to die earlier. But the, the caveat here is that you can improve your movement. And for every point that you improve, according to this study, you can improve your likelihood. Then the the easiest path to success in all of this really is to not sit on your butt all day. Correct. Um, they, they, you know that the idea of ergonomics, those that are in cubicles most of the day, and they usually have, if you have the, the access to it, an ergonomic specialist or an ergonomist, and they'll typically put you in the most ideal sitting position to relieve stress on your body. I think those are starting to get pushed out. And the term that I'm using is ergodynamics is finding an individual that can show you how to sit and stand and move throughout the day versus just sitting in one specific position. I know there's been a tremendous amount of popularity in these stand-up desks. What's your thoughts on that? I love it. Uh, I'm actually um, manufacturing one now for my wife who works from home and does a lot of uh, writing. And so we're setting up our treadmill to... I'm not sure if this is going to be safe or not, but I am going to look at this uh, treadmill standing station, if you will, so she can keep moving while she's doing her work. You know who really is big on that is Dean Carnassus. Correct. Yeah, he told me that he, I mean, he virtually never sits down. I mean, he, he just does not sit down. And he has a standing desk over top of a treadmill, and he's actually walking while he's uh, writing or doing whatever he's doing at his desk. And, you know, he would typically get off of that and do some functional exercise every now and then in the course of his day. And he just it, he just never stops moving. And I've I got to share with you, and I, this is really not the direction I want to take this conversation, but, <laughs> but since it's kind of opened out, I have to share with you that lately, and I'm talking about over the last few years, I've been finding myself at my desk a lot. And I think partially because I'm getting older, my eyesight's a little challenged. I find myself squinting at my big screen monitors on my desk because I'm editing images, actually editing audio because I'm doing this podcast now. And and it, it consumes me. I, as a matter of fact, once we get done with this, I'll spend a 
a considerable amount of time getting it clean and getting it prepared to put out there and dealing with social media. So at the end of the day, I'm at my desk way too often. And I get up from it, and I can barely walk. If I did something, which is typical, I do my exercise in the morning, and I have matter of fact, I just got back from the track. I'm out there six days and sometimes seven days a week doing something, but it's typically morning activity. And when that activity's over, I'm sedentary for the balance of the day. And so it it essentially negates pretty much all the exercise I've got in the morning, right? Yeah, that's been proven as well. You, you really can't train the long sitting that we're doing. So we just have to make a we have to make a shift. We have to make a decision like Dean has and saying, you know, maybe that's going to the extreme. But uh, I could assure you that this idea of ergodynamics is going to be growing, and we all just need to start to recognize. Okay, cool. So. Aside from the morbidity of this conversation at the moment, <laughs> what I really wanted to talk about, and this is obviously in my wheelhouse, and, and it is yours as well, again, going back to social media, because it's become such a, a big deal for a lot of people, communicating with people outside of their circle of friends, so to speak, you know, the the circle of trust. you got the few people in your lives that you communicate with personally, and you actually are your friends. You know, I don't want to discount the fact that I've met a lot of people on social media and I have a lot of great friends that are and met through social media. But what I see more often, and it becomes really compelling to me, is how many people out there that are active, obviously the people I socialize with are active, that are hurt. And they're hurting themselves due to improper movement patterns. So I carefully said that as opposed to just saying what's really on my mind, which is, bad running mechanics, right. but, it, but it translates into all sorts of things. And looking at the information that you pose in your, your pyramid. Our, our movement pyramid. Okay, so your movement pyramid. At the top of the pyramid is corrective exercise. And by definition, it's used to normalize human movement before increasing training demands. Correct. Now, I really love what you're saying there because again going back to my day-to-day i have clients i work with all over the world that are training for obstacle races they're training for a marathon they're doing triathlon what have you and my focus of course is running mechanics but i get somebody that might have through word of mouth heard about me and were excited to have an opportunity to do some stuff with me and they're waiting for me to throw on this really bitchin training program you know they're waiting for me to say, okay, you're going to run 10 miles today, and then you're going to do this high-intensity hill repeat tomorrow, and you're going to do all this stuff where, in fact, the truth is is that I'm having them send me video of the way they're moving, and until they pass muster, until they show me that they're moving efficiently, I just can't see the rationale behind increasing the volume or intensity of the work. And this is exactly what you're talking about, it sounds like to me. It, it's, it resonates with me. Um, if I can follow the lead with what Greg Cook has said, and I've, I've used him, and he's definitely one of my mentors. Greg Cook always says, move well and then move often. And unfortunately, we're, we're just not seeing that, right? You and I both know that the stats are pretty staggering in the running community, especially those that are training for a specific race, that well over 85% of those are getting injured. And, and you know it best that the majority of those are due to poor mechanics, poor movement quality. Um, so we just step, stepped up and said, you know, we have tape and we'll talk about that. But but we also wanted to recognize that there's more to this equation than just tape. 
And so we developed this movement pyramid. We developed some products around this pyramid to be able to say, let's first identify, just like you said, and then give them, give them some tools to improve their quality of movement before we get them to increase their demands. Exactly. And so building on that, what I find typical is people will chime in and say, and as I shared with you this morning, there was a gentleman that posted that he was he was so pleased that he's qualifying for world championships and he's going to go, and he's not been able to run. He's just had a lot of trouble with his knees, and he's been trying all sorts of intervention where maybe he'll have – he made comments about acupuncture. He's made comments about seeing someone that identified that he had edema in his knees and discussions about draining the, the fluid – just a tremendous amount of uh, observation, but no real realization of the root of the problem being that it's just faulty movement patterns. The guy's not running well. And every time he makes contact with the ground, he's insulting his body. And you just can't win with gravity. You're hitting the ground poorly. It's just it's just going to be a losing battle. And it becomes a function of strength-to-weight ratio. And so what I've found... And what I, what I really want to talk about, I'll be very frank, I'm still kind of out of the loop, so to speak, in respect to understanding the whole power taping methodology. I want to talk about that a lot with you because obviously you're the guy. But what I have done quite a lot with taping is that once I kind of get somebody that comes to me and they present some problems like that, getting out there on a on a limb and making sure people understand that I'm not I'm not suggesting to anyone that I'm a therapist. I'm not a therapist, but I, I am, um, I'm a mechanic, and I identify flaws, and I am very comfortable with the outcomes that, or I should say uncomfortable with the outcomes that are associated with poor running mechanics. And I know that through taping procedures, I've had tremendous success. And some of it is the kinesthetic awareness. Some of it is the ability to reduce and decrease inflammation in specific regions. But There's more to it than that, and you and I kind of touched on it the other day, and you asked me if we could talk about how we can encourage proper running mechanics through taping procedures. So I've kind of opened up Pandora's box for you, and I want you to kind of build on those thoughts if you could. I think you said it best, Richard, and I want to expand on what you said in respect to being the body mechanic, being the individual, and, and this is who we're teaching to, who we're resonating with are those therapists and, and better yet, those, those I, I'm going to kind of group us into a larger clump of just movement specialists, those that just like looking at movement as a guide to figure out how they can help those that are in front of them. That might be a therapist, that might be a practitioner, but more than not, it's it's the individual that's looking at people moving every day, and those are the the, the trainers, the coaches, uh, and people like you that be able to kind of convey the message that I need to fix this motor mechanic that that's going to improve their pain, it's going to improve their function. So we're really resonating with that community, and and really what we're finding and what the research is starting to communicate more about this tape and other products that manipulating the skin and different layers of fascia below that. We can kind of talk about that further, but really manipulating the nervous system via the skin uh, has some significant effects. And what we're learning is that less is more. Uh, All this information that we've been fed for years and years, that there's a specific way to tape and there's a specific way to manipulate the body. 
is becoming less and less uh, agreed upon. And what we're recognizing is that the people that we're working with are individuals and we have to experiment with some good knowledge, obviously being informed through the research, but not being shackled by the research to be able to say, what am I trying to accomplish here? Am I trying to correct foot mechanics when, when you're making foot uh, contact to the ground or terminal end of, the, of, uh, of your foot strike. We're really trying to identify what we're trying to accomplish through our screening. And if you look at our movement pyramid, the bottom of our pyramid is all about screening, about us looking at people move. And once we recognize what we're trying to accomplish, we have tools available to us from foam rollers to mobility bands to uh, instruments, to tape, and to our own hands um, to be able to make some changes. So really, the idea of taping, and, I, and it may not be the, the best answer for a lot of people that want the protocol. They want, you know, give me the technique and give me the application for this condition. And we could give you some recommendations, and you'll see that on our site and in our manuals and even in our manifesto. But most of the time, it really comes down to having you really recognize what you see and what you're trying to accomplish, and then using the tape and other tools to manipulate the brain to get it, get it to actually happen. Okay, cool. So let's touch on that thought process for a second. What I've learned, and I use this a lot, and anybody who listens to my show has probably heard me say it before, but there was a research study done at the University of Wisconsin that I thought was pretty interesting, where they did a full-blown gait analysis with force plates and things like this. And what they identified was that for someone to increase their cadence, their stride frequency by 5%, there was shown to be a 20% reduction in injury to the ankle, knee, and hip up the kinetic chain. And then by increasing cadence by 10%, this would result in a 32% reduction in injury to those same joints. And what it turns out to being is that most people that are making mistakes when they run are overstriding, regardless of whether they're making contact with their forefoot, midfoot, heel. If they're throwing their foot ahead of their center of mass when they're making contact with the ground, they're imposing a braking force, and this presents all sorts of problems. And where specifically the problems arise is dependent upon force production, strength, the, the angle in which they make contact with the ground, uh, whether they're dorsiflex or plantar flex. I mean, there's so many different things that kind of point to where the the uh, end result is going to manifest. But at the end of the day, a typical overstrider will take about 160 strides per minute. And that it turns out that by uh, based on what they're suggesting, this 10% increase in frequency of stride puts you very, very near 180 strides per minute. And so... Ideally, based on what you just said a moment ago, is that the tape is an assist mechanism. It gives you an opportunity to encourage proper functionality while at the same time reducing potential muscle vibration, reducing the potential for increased inflammation in a particular region that might have already been um, under duress. And so there you go, hand in hand, do it, trying to manipulate and do the right things, make shifts in the way you're moving, and then using the tools is a corrective uh, implementation. How's yeah, that sound? I'd love it. Let's let's talk about that a little bit further because I've been doing a lot of uh, of inquiry and some research, um, low level research, but to kind of figure out, you know, if we're really trying to control overstriding, 
what are we trying to do? Or how do we cue somebody to limit that, especially while they're doing the activity? Because we know that, you know, if you really want to make a change, get them to perform the activity repetitively at a low threshold to be able to, to rewire the brain. And so the skin being the, the best ability, the best tool that we have to be able to communicate to the brain, because it being the largest organ that we have, littered by millions of mechanoreceptors that communicate to the brain, like, like keyboards on a, on a computer, we can manipulate the nervous system. We can manipulate the brain, have a better conversation with the brain by just putting some tape on it. So I started thinking, you know, these overstriders, what part of the skin, since that's what I'm trying to affect, is stretching most when they go into the overstriding position? What would you think if somebody is going in their lower extremity, that is, what part of their skin, front or back, is being lengthened more when they're overstriding? Their hamstrings and calves. Yeah, right. So this is as simple as, as it needs to be because we can get complex and say, you know, what are the, the myofascial tissues that we're really trying to address? And I'm saying, let's kind of pull back here and start saying, we're manipulating the skin here, folks. We can argue that we're having an effect on different layers of fascia underneath the skin. And I can comment on that. But really, the skin of the of the uh, the skin overlying the hamstring and the cat, the gastroc soleus complex, that posterior chain that people like to, to comment on, is what's being lengthened. And that's what's talking to the brain. So if we can cue the brain by taping that posterior chain to limit overstriding, potentially you can help somebody ingrain that cue of you saying, hey, I want to improve your stride frequency, but uh, not by increasing your stride length or overstriding. So let's take it a step further, and this is a question more than it is a comment. Yeah. So let's just say that a couple things are going on here. We've identified that we want to increase our cadence. We've identified that if we start making contact closer to under center of mass, that we're going to reduce all these potential maladies that occur because we're overstriding. And we've identified that if we were to run a piece of rock tape down the posterior kinetic chain, mm -hmm. that that's going to encourage a, a kinesthetic awareness and facilitate potentially improving your f stride frequency. But at the same token, would it not be true that if I want to encourage dorsiflexion, so in other words, for people that aren't, aren't hip to this conversation, if, if they were to, rather than point their toes down, point their toes up a little bit to encourage a, a little bit more efficient landing, would it not be also appropriate to put a strip of tape, say, from the top of the foot up to, say, uh, mid-shin? Yeah, I, I love the way you're thinking. So you and I, you know, you're talking to the choir, and I, I'm assuming I'm saying the same thing to you, is that it, it just comes down to what your screen produces. If you produce a screen that has an individual that's overstriding and has a lack of dorsiflexion or the ability to bring the toe up towards the shin, in their gait, you try to address the part of the skin that might give that individual the information to be able to accomplish those tasks the way that you want them to. Um, so I would exactly do that. I would tape the posterior chain, maybe in that case, from the hip to the knee on the backside uh, around where the hamstring structures are, and then to facilitate or to encourage better dorsiflexion taping from the, the ball of the foot up to the knee on the anterior or the front of the shin to help with dorsiflexion. So yes, the answer would be to probably do both to assist both mechanics. Okay, cool. Now let's take it a step further. We're having fun now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we talked about this a long time ago. And I remember, I will never forget, I don't know if you still use it, but you had this video clip that you showed of this, this cat 
where these guys put some tape along the spine of this cat. And I remember that it was uh, it was a Japanese video clip because uh, PETA would never allow us to do something like that in this country without getting into trouble for it. But they put some tape along the spine of this cat, and the cat was like crawling really, really close to the ground like its belly was dragging on the ground. And they pull the tape off, and they put the tape along the side or one of the sides of the cat, and the cat walked sideways away from where the tape was. Uh-huh. And then they put the tape on the other side, and the, other, the opposite thing happened. And then they put the tape beneath the cat uh, on its belly, and it, it walked with its, with its back hunched. So essentially this was showing that there was this kinesthetic awareness, and it affected movement in the cat. And where I'm going with this is we talk about people that evert, you know, they toe out, when they make contact, generally this is a function of heel striking and uh, using a walking gait relative to a proper running gait. But you were talking about, and then people that cross over. So in other words, you know, because you're pitching your foot out ahead of your center of mass and your foot is basically crossing over your center line, if you're to draw a line from your nose down to the ground, um, you're, say, for example, your left leg reaching out across that center line, by putting a strip of tape on the lateral aspect of your kinetic chain, so maybe running it down from your hip to your shin along the outside edge of your leg, that may help to correct that problem as well. I would agree, and, that, and I want to kind of touch on this a little bit further too, because you really have to understand, and, and this form of tape, kinesiology tape, this elastic therapeutic tape has been around for well over 35 years. Uh, Kenzo Kase did a great job of, of developing this product and bringing it to the U.S. And, and having us have a better understanding of really what this tape does. But at the same time, the research isn't there yet, right? So we're, we're starting to get some better evidence. And, and a lot of people are considering the lack of evidence is, 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 uh, constitutes evidence of lack. And that's not necessarily the case. But what we're, what we're saying, what I'm trying to say is that we don't have all the answers yet. And you brought up the cat video, and I think that was a great example that not all taping applications will give you the outcomes that you're looking for. So this idea of our pyramid to be able to screen and rescreen to identify, did we really accomplish the, you know, the goal that we were looking for is critical here. Because I can assure you that, say, potentially as an overstrider or somebody that has a crossover gate by taping the structures that you believe to have an effect uh, could give you the, the outcome you're looking for, but in some cases they don't. And so this is where the, the trial and error effect has to come into play because not, individ, not all individuals will uh, respond the way that you need to, but better is always better. So I, I think it's just a great tool, which is simple and cheap to use to be able to say, let's experiment and figure out what works for you because that's what, where the research is really going is saying that not all applications protocol-based are giving you the outcomes you're looking for. There's not always going to be this magic wand approach to correction, but I got to tell you, I found a, a lot of success in the various things that I've used the tape for, and I've been using it. And, and I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> I've been having some issues with. Uh, uh, it appears that I probably have uh, some impingement in either the top of my thoracic spine or maybe even a cervical because I'm getting some reference down into my my forearm. Mm-hmm. And I know it's me sitting at this desk is causing this. And, and as a matter of fact, I went for a bike ride, and just being in that opposite posture while I was on the bike almost cured it. I felt so much better after riding my bike. 
But anyway, what I'm getting at is that uh, I did a taping procedure. Actually, I instructed my wife on how I wanted her to tape me because right. I couldn't reach back there and do it myself. I had her tape me, and uh, it was very effective. But I used another tape uh, that was sent to me in a you know um, experiment more than anything else. And I'm not going to use their name because I don't want to throw them under the bus, but let's just say it's pre-cut, okay? And that, that's all probably you need to know, <laughs> and you know who it is. Yes. Okay, but anyway, the the tape was pre-cut, and uh, so I used the tape, spider-looking thing on my back. You know, I did as prescribed. I stretched it out and did all the things that they suggested it would do, and comments were about it being 15 times stronger than, than typical KT tape or rock tape. And where it was restrictive and potentially offering influence, meaning uh, I, I don't want to use I don't want to use the word stability because it's really kind of a, I felt that it was kind of locking me back a little bit. You know, it was kind of causing me to draw my my scapula together. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't it wasn't uh, I didn't feel it, it was it was a complete I, I had the well, I had the application on for about two hours. And I told my wife, I said, take it off. And she goes, really? You're going to take it off already? I said, no, no, take it off. <laughs> and then we went back and I taped. And, and the tape I could leave on, well, you know, given the the nature of where it was, and I, I can't see it, I can't tell whether I'm having any redness around the edges of it. You know, and I'm, I, Usually I'll, I'll go like three days before I pull the tape off. I have people I tape that they find that they wear it till I take it off them, sometimes five, six days. But there was a completely different influence. Can you, without trying to throw the competitor on the bus, can you kind of touch on why there's a big difference in your methodology versus what some of these other guys are chasing? It, it, it's pretty simple. First and foremost, I have to give credit for where credit is due. Uh, our founder, Greg Van Andries, is the one that developed this tape. He's got so much experience in textiles in, in, in respect to human movement as well. And he, he kind of came to a place in his life to say, you know, I think I can do this better. And what he meant by that is that he thought he could make this product with a a different elasticity and a different adhesiveness to be able to allow it to do what it's looking to do, which is improve somebody's movement quality. Um, And so I give him credit for developing the product in in a way that allowed it to accomplish that task. Now, the application is just simple as less is more. Um, having more elasticity and more rigidity to a tape doesn't necessarily always mean that it's going to give you the effects you're looking for. It, really, to, to rewire the brain, and I brought this, um, I, I said this earlier, is that less is more. Um, the brain responds to repetitive stress at a low threshold, and, and I, I kind of liken it to running. The repetitive foot strike at a low threshold is really what provides the brain with the nourishment that allows it to adapt. And so our tape and the application, the product and the application allows it to accomplish the, the goals that we're looking for. Okay, so the point being from from a a novice perspective, yeah, is that people look at tape and they think back to when they were playing football in high school and if they had uh, an athletic trainer on staff uh, and you know they had a twisted ankle or something like that. You know they go go to work on inhibiting motion and and trying to create uh, a more uh, 
I don't, a stable structure. I hate to say that because I don't, I don't think that's really the way it works. But yeah. inhibiting is more of a better word, I think. And so they look at the tape as that, and, and it's the furthest thing from the truth, right? Well, it's elastic, right, Rich? And right. It, it's it's elastic tape that that cues us, gives us a better, better awareness of where that body part is, but it doesn't restrict that range of motion. So the key, and, and rigidly strapping a segment down when indicated is still applicable, right? So if you really roll your ankle out, uh, I'm not going to wrap it with rock tape or similar types of tape because we really want to protect the joint while it's going through that phase of healing. But most of the things that you and I see are the chronic conditions, these things that, that re-inflame and become re-injured due to repetitive stress and poor mechanics. Really, this is where this tape comes in into play is that we can apply this elastic tape that sticks to your skin for multiple days, giving your brain better awareness of where it is in space neurologically, but mechanically provides you just a little bit of support, if you want to call it that, or a little bit of, of understanding of where you are in space so you can actively make that correction. So taking it back to what you just said in respect to your mid-back and your posture, if we can place just a, a strip of tape on the mid-back um, to be able to give you awareness of when you fall into your crappy position at your desk, for example, um, can be so profoundly effective in making a change, actively getting you to say, I'm going to turn on the appropriate muscles to get myself in the right position because the tape is reminding me to do so. That's where this tape becomes effective. Right. Exactly right. So I, I, I'm going to take a spin into another direction, but but it, I think it's on the same vein, and I, and I just want to get your feedback on it. Okay. The other thing that I've seen a lot of, and I know I, I make enemies when I when I talk about this, but I still think it's important because it it's so logical to me. And I know you're friendly with Dr. Emily Spleichel, mm-hmm. and I've had her on the show a few times, and I love Emily. I think she got some groundbreaking information out there about her barefoot training but at the end of the day this afferent information we gather from the ground when we're running or the opportunity i should suggest that we have to gather this information from the ground so the central nervous system knows what to do and how to position ourselves and what muscles need to be fired to cause the stability or structural uh, engagement that we need in order to to do the right things falls away when you dampen this information with a lot of soul under your shoe. Are you with me on this? Oh, I'm with you. So what I'm going to say, and again, I'm I'm trying to politically dance around brands, but the shoe industry has taken a hard left away from where they were some time back, where identifying that we need to find the ground and make more natural contact with the ground so that we function as we should, as we were designed to function. And now they're offering up all this cushion. And they're supporting a lot of athletes. And, you know, and these are well-known athletes that, you know, by wearing the shoe, well, he wears it, must be a great shoe to wear. And then I'll have guys say, well, well, so-and-so can do this or that and the other thing. Uh-huh. And he wears it. And... And I got to tell you, uh, I have friends that are wearing these really thick-soled shoes. World-class athletes, incidentally, that are wearing these shoes, and oh, they swear by them. And I'm looking at the way they run. And again, I'm a mechanic, and I'm looking at it. 
And I don't care who you are, how much money you're getting paid, how fast you are. If you run like crap, it's bad, right? It's just bad. And so I look at a guy that's doing what they're doing in a shoe like that, and the shoe's allowing them to be irresponsible, and they're getting away with it because commonly they're they're so slight of build to begin with that they're not putting enough stress on the body, and they get away with it. But from a standpoint of the average person that's experiencing issues with the way they run, and they think that the panacea is by putting a mattress under their foot, it's a bad idea. The more information you can get from the ground, the better. And I'm going to go out on an opposing limb by saying, I am not suggesting somebody should go barefoot and run on unnatural surfaces or to make a shift from having some fashion of sole to no sole or very minimal sole under their shoe. They need to learn how to transition to proper running mechanics, allow this afferent information to help to educate them, make the appropriate decisions about the way they're moving, and then they're going to find that they can get away with less and less shoe beneath them and ultimately be in a better place. I just wanted to get your feedback on that. Well, uh, I think you and I are on the same page as this, and I've heard you preach this since I've known you, and I'm completely in line with you. But unfortunately, Richard, it's too slow for the majority of people, right? And the answer that you give is the correct one, but but somebody that's training for a specific race um, that's initially been, uh, I guess, coerced and conditioned to believe that the uh, the barefoot environment is more appropriate and they take that information and they they run with it literally and they become injured right so they come back to the table and they say well i want to continue to run um and what are my options and so the the running community as you know it um, listened to the consumer and said well we'll adapt and provide you the cushion to allow you to do that regardless of your mechanics right right um so the the point here and it's not an easy answer to be really to, to, to give, but I'm in agreement with you and Dr. Emily is to say that we have to earn our ability to move more efficiently. And it does take time. There are some tools uh, available to us to help speed the process. And it really comes down to neurological cueing. And the foot is just, if you want to talk about littered with mechanoreceptors or these keys on the keyboard, uh, the foot has got the majority of them, uh, and it talks to the brain all the time. We're land-based animals, and so if we can improve that communication to the brain, and this is where I really got interested in in, in rock tape and just kinesiology tape as a general um, uh, product, is that if we can cue the skin of the bottom of the foot and the round of the foot to give us better understanding of where we are in space, we can help that individual that's that's been told to move towards this barefoot idea or this more proprioceptively rich environment uh, with less chance of injury. Um, so this is where I think the research is going. There was a good study that was uh, uh, from Aguilar in 2015 that showed that uh, the effectiveness of neuromuscular taping, that's another name of this form of taping is neuromuscular taping to control pronated foot posture, um, showed a significant improvement in uh, what did they say a significant improvement in assisting the mid and forefoot control and terminal stance and so maybe you can better explain what that really means but ultimately they found that this form of taping the form of taping that we suggest which is less is more not strapping the foot to improve the the control of the foot but just cueing the skin of the foot to improve midfoot and forefoot control is is really where the evidence is going towards and i find that to be really exciting 
Well, if you recall, in your training manual, mm-hmm. I have a technique that I submitted for that very thing. Absolutely. Which is to, by causing to encourage that you lead into your foot contact with the great toe as opposed to leading on the varus edge and making contact with your, your lesser toe. And it's, so it's not restricting motion or movement, but when you're in flight and your foot is in that swing phase, it helps to keep your foot more in a dorsiflex and more neutral position so that when you do make contact with the ground, you have a, a more stable a landing. And as you suggested, is that it becomes a function of the more you do, the better you get, the more you learn. But you need to have that positive influence first and build on that. So I've done that with a, a lot of people. I actually have some gate straps that I use in my lab when I'm trying to encourage that with people while I have them on the treadmill doing drills. But the take-home was pretty easy. Just kind of guide the foot into a better landing. It's like trimming the sail, so to speak, and get yourself in a better position so that when you do make contact and all the contractile forces that are created as you make contact with the ground and gravity is pushing you into the ground, when they're done correctly, then you learn from that. Or the opposite being true is that when you make poor landing, you learn from that as well. Correct. It's just a function of making better choices. And I like what you said about slow it down, essentially is what you're saying. Slow it down and build on the processes. Let the this nourishment of information kind of take hold. And, and again, this is where I come in and become the boring coach where – I got guys who are going, hey, uh, so what do I do this week? (laughs) I said, you go back and do what I told you to do, which was work on those drills to make your foot contact appropriate. Send me videos when you think you're on on the right path. Show me that you're making the corrections that we had set about to correct. And then once I see you're landing safely, then we'll start talking about how much more volume we're going to put in and how much more intensity we could take on. But until they're, they're at that place, I'm just the guy that's just like, oh, am I paying this guy? I thought this guy was going to give me a program. <laughs> right. But I, I think it really puts the ownership on them, right? And, and when you get people autonomy and on their own programming, and not everyone resonates with this, but the, the smart ones do. They really understand that, hey, listen, I have a lot more control of this than my coach does. And my coach is facilitating uh, the process in a smart way. And that's really what we did with our movement manifesto. We said, listen, it's all about better is better. If you recognize where you're at, and that's where the screen and the assessment come in, and we're given the right tools, that's where coaching comes in, um, then we have better outcomes. And it just comes down to that. And people can advance pretty quickly. Our brain is pretty plastic, and it can change. But we just got to give it the right environment to be able to rewire. Right. And what I found, and it's been my go-to move, by the way, with the tape, is I have people that either on their own accord or through my influences made transitions off of their heel onto a midfoot running style. And, you know, in the course of making mistakes, you know, maybe not allowing their their heel to settle down and and get that little respite and reduce some of the the contractile forces they're gathering in the Achilles and the calf and the plantar fascia. Uh, When they call me and they start telling me, oh, man, my calves are fired up because now they're using them where before they had not been using them. I tell them, I said, some of this is going to be acceptable, and some of this is is starting to tell us that maybe we're doing something wrong. But in the course of all that awareness and and observation, I found that the taping strategies for the calf, Achilles, and plantar fascia has been very, very successful 
in mitigating some of the soreness and actually even encourage them to do the right things when they do make contact with the ground. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point is that we can't forget that this tape was initially created and, and, and there's a lot of research that support this, that it was created to help mitigate pain, uh, to, to create a lifting effect on the skin, not a compressive effect, but a lifting effect on the skin that helps with edema and inflammation, both acute and chronic. Um, those, are, those, are, those are the initial purposes of this type of tape. Now, we've kind of expanded it to say we can also correct movement or at least encourage better movement. But if somebody in that process of going from a heel striker to a midfoot is starting to recognize some you know, stress on the system, you could mitigate that. And, and really, the key is not to allow the, that nociception or that pain experience to perpetuate, because if it does, it will, and it's been well documented, it will change your movement if you're in a painful state. So I think it's a great tool for both you know, requirements. You know what I've been seeing a lot of is with the, the advent of this obstacle racing, and I've been seeing, you know, I'm working with a lot of obstacle racers now. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's almost all I do anymore. It's um, huge. Yeah, it's gotten really big. And, uh, you know, I'm working with a lot of high-caliber athletes that are winning races, and I know that you you know a few. I, I actually saw a little video clip you working with Isaiah. Right. And um, I'm actually looking to be doing some things with him soon myself. But a lot of ankle strains. I'm seeing these guys twist their ankles. I got a, a couple of my clients. It's just of all the injuries that I'm seeing, the most I'm seeing has to do with the ankle. And I think, obviously enough, it's because they're on natural terrain and there's you know, a lot of uh, up and down hills and, and craggy uh, surfaces they're running on. But uh, what are your thoughts on dealing with that and, and what do you think the, the primary culprit is behind it? I think it's timing, Richard. It's it's if you think about it yourself, and I can I'm sure your listeners will will be able to resonate with this as well. Is that it happens all the time. We're on an un, uneven terrain. We step on uh, a route, uh, and our foot starts to make that that turn into the inverted position, which where most ankle inversions or ankle um, injuries occur. And we make the immediate correction. We make the instantaneous correction before it goes too far. Uh, those that have had multiple ankle injuries, those that have created um, uh, increased strain to the anterior talofibular ligament, the ligament on the outside of the ankle that typically gets injured in these cases, the more that we lose the proprioception from those ligaments and the tissues on the outside of the ankle, the more recurrent we develop these types of injuries. So really where the tape comes in, and this is the compromised state, and this is where a lot of the research is going, I need to really kind of stress this, that the research is going that once the body is compromised, either through fatigue, which is late stage running in those types of environments, or through injury, just like I I discussed, is that we, our brain is looking for information. It's saying, I need to know where I am in space so I can make the right, right, the right um, call. And if the muscles stress because of fatigue, if the ligament is strained or sprained due to injury, it's looking for another source of information. And that's where the skin comes in. Uh, and it's been well documented that those receptors in the skin can tell the brain and they can be augmented with tape on them on the outside of the ankle to feed the brain. When you start to roll your ankle, you make the correction via that information. So I think that's hugely important for this community to say tape can be a great tool for those that have these recurrent chronic ankle inversion sprains in that type of environment. And this would be something that would be um, of great value where 
these athletes are going into multiple events in a, in a weekend. Right. You know, the cool thing these days is doing a trifecta, where they're essentially doing three races in a weekend, which is, you know, you talk about uh, fatigue. You know, you come away from one tough event, uh, and typically the way they're lined up is you may do a uh, a beast distance. You know, it's about a 13-mile event. Do a super, then a sprint. And so the the shorter duration towards the end, the higher intensity towards the end, the greatest amount of fatigue going into the highest amount of intensity. Just not a good not a good plan. <laughs> well, you talk about that compromised state, and I I can I know Isaiah really well, and he'll be more than uh, comfortable with me sharing this. Is that you know his body starts to deteriorate. He won't ever admit it because he's such a, a mind freak, meaning that he can he can push all of that away and still continue on. Um, but really, it, it, we need, especially at the, that level, the, uh, the you know, mid to elite level, these guys are looking for the fine tuning. And so just by simply putting a strip of tape, which may not seem reasonable, but a strip of tape on the outside of the ankle in this case can really feed the brain what it needs to be able to make that correction in that third race of the trifecta. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good tip, whether people yeah. were paying attention to that or not. Yeah. Uh, my my tip would be don't do the third race. <laughs> you know, I have a hard time with my athletes uh, telling me they're going to, you know, I can't get them to, to spend two weeks in a row actually doing something what I would call training. Right. It's, it's generally trying to recover before Saturday because, you know, on Monday they'll say, what do you want me to do? I said, what's your, what's your week look like? Well, I'm racing Saturday. And I'm thinking, what what kind of magic can I can I conjure up between now and then that's going to keep them from uh, getting hurt or a- actually improving come Saturday? So, yeah, we're trying to we're trying to keep this at a legal end of the ergogenic age, and so so far that what I'm what we're talking about is still on the legal end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about products for just a second because we got just a little bit more time. And so of late, you guys have come out with some new stuff, and you guys have shin guards, and I know purposely that was targeted towards. OCR and CrossFit athletes that are doing a lot of rope climbing and things like that. And you've also come out with some gloves, and that's kind of some cool stuff. And incidentally, for those that are listening, you uh, make a comment, whether it be on social media, whether it be through um, my actual podcast site, which is the naturalrunningnetwork.com. Say you listen to the show, you have comments about it, you loved it, what have you, and there's a very good chance we're going to have Rock tape send you out some shin guards, some gloves, some tape, some cool stuff. So, having said all that, tell me a little bit about the the new toys. Well, the new toys, this brand of protective performance gear, is kind of like a a name that we're giving it. Um, it is really engineered to to just offload parts of the body that are put under load in in a racing or training environment. And so, we just had to recognize just like screening somebody running, we screened these OCR athletes and said, what do they, what do they need? And, and what are the needs of these athletes? They come to us and say, this is what we're looking for. And that's what I love about this company. I can't tell you enough that the company listens, right? So they say, we get enough people to say that we need these shin guards, then we make them and we make them the best way that we can um, to be able to, to withstand the rigors of these types of, of sports, especially a trifecta weekend. So the shin guards and the gloves are really intended for the, the individual that's going to be crawling and climbing ropes and, and whatnot to be able to protect those parts of the body that are stressed. You came out with a foam roller with a really nifty little handle, right? 
Yeah, the, this is the part that I'm really liking lately. And, and we can talk about form rolling. We can argue about form rolling. And, and if you look at our, uh, our movement pyramid, recognize how we're communicating, how we're using these implements. I think we're using it in a smart way. We're giving people some really uh, key information to decide when and how to use the foam roller or, or what we call our rock and roller appropriately. What, you know, how do you manipulate the nervous system or manipulate the brain pre-activity as a movement preparation? How do we uh, uh, augment recovery, which is a huge thing, as you can agree on, by using these types of implants, we have a way, and it's been well documented through the research, that we can manipulate the body in a certain way with, with a rock and roller to facilitate recovery. Uh, if somebody is truly limited in their range of motion, mechanically stuck, I call it Velcroed, where their calf is just is restricted, causing strain to the Achilles, we've come up with some ways of using the rock and roller to facilitate better movement or better gliding ability of those tissues. So, but the cool thing, and then this is this is more of just the aesthetics of the rock and roller, is that it has capped ends where you can screw on and screw off and stuff this roller with all of the crap that we go to events with, which is, in the, in my case, rock tape. I just did a, a 70.3 um, uh, half Ironman, and uh, there was comments on my on my social media that saying that, Steve, I think you were held together with rock tape products, which was tape on my knees and and shin guards and, and whatnot, because I found them to be helpful in my training and my racing. So I get, I went to the race with my rock and roller. I did my pre-activity rolling to prime my system to get ready for activity. In the roller, I pulled out the tape and taped my knees. I had mobility bands to help uh, mobilize my specific joints, in particular my ankle. And so this kit is really what we're, what we've made is, is our is our performance kit, which you can stuff with all the tools that we've made to help with your performance and training. Cool. Yeah. So th this segment that we're doing now, uh, it's new, and we're calling it Listen and Learn, and obviously this is an educational component of our show. Uh -huh. um, I want to be able to bring you back, and I want to discuss very pointed circumstances, maybe touch on different ailments and, and uh, maybe some tips on how to contend with them if you're game for it. Sure, let's go. Okay, cool. I want everybody to know how to find all of this cool stuff. It's uh, rocktape.com. Correct. And Dr. Steve Capobianco is the dude. And uh, we're going to talk about a lot of cool stuff coming up, but we're running out of time now. So, Steve, say goodbye. And listen, man, I'm really happy to have a chance to get connected with you again. And I want to see you live again. So let me know when you're doing your next training so I can come out and, and uh, heckle you once more. Well, having said that, I'm interested in coming to one of your functional taping things. And I know you've got a couple coming up in California. Right. Um, so just to kind of you know get your listeners to understand, we have really two tracks of training, and one is somewhat unique. But uh, we have our fascial movement taping um, live training. It's a two-day course that we offer to uh, medical professionals, uh, coach, excuse me, um, uh, chiropractors, physical therapists, MDs, uh, athletic trainers, massage therapists. But we've developed this performance movement training program called the PMT um, seminar series, which is a one day. And we really go over all of the things that we just I just discussed about using the rock and roller, the rock balls, which are the ball, myofascial balls, the rock bands, which is a mobility band and some corrective bands, which are our rock band RX product. So we just spend a day talking to coaches and other movement specialists to say, how do we use these tools smartly to be able to help our athletes move? So that's our, our PMT curriculum. 
Well, I, I need to get boned up. You know, it's been a while, and I, I could use some some education. So I, I need to come do that. I'm looking forward to it. All right, buddy. So listen, thank you so much, and uh, again, we're going to get you back soon. Thanks. Have a great day. You too, bud. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.